podcast of conversations about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. Hey, I'm going to jump right into it today. My guest is Jim Shamaria. Jim is the pastor of Celebration Bible Church, which is in Granville, just outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Two interviews in a row for Michigan, for whatever that's worth. Jim mentions a lot of great resources in this interview, and as usual, you can come to sermonsmith.com and find uh, Jim's interview, which if you listen after this is published, it'll be right at the top of the homepage, and you can see links to all of the different books and gear that he talks about in here. Actually mentions some books for the first time, and we get a lot of repeat books, so it's always good to hear some books for the first time. So thank all of you for joining us, and here we are with Jim Shamar. I should ask you, how do you pronounce your last name? I pronounce it Shamaria. You pronounce? I mean, are other <laughs> a lot of a lot of people pronounce it Shamaria. Okay, uh, but I go with Shamaria. But does everybody in your family pronounce it Shamaria? My immediate family, yes. Okay, we are we are Shamaria people. All right. <laughs> what kind of name is that? It's Hebrew. Really? Okay. So yeah. So my grandfather was. He came over from the island of Rhodes. He was a Sephardic Jew, and. Uh, yeah, so that's what it is. Oh my goodness! Can we just uh, so what's the what's the religious heritage for your family? Then I'm just going now. We're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> so he was fairly nominal. Uh, my grandfather when he when he came over, he you know I don't think he was necessarily a really strong a religious. But my dad he died when my dad was young, and so my dad really grew up with some guys in the church that uh, that he went to called Emmanuel. You might be familiar with that. It's in the Green Lake area out in Seattle. Okay. Um, and those guys really kind of mentored him along, um, and he became uh, involved in, in leadership and became a pastor in the early 70s. And now he's actually the pastor of that same church that uh, that he grew up in gotcha. and was really mentored along in. And he's been there for like over 30 years now, so... So, do you feel like you have much connection with your Jewish heritage? Um, kind of through my dad. I mean, he obviously, as as someone who's more connected to uh, right. to it, as his father was fully Jewish, um, he's a lot more kind of into cultural, at least understanding kind of his Christianity through that lens, being very respectful of that lens. And so, kind of by way of that, I'm also in that in that boat, but um, probably not quite as much as he is. Yeah. But I'm definitely um, always interested in kind of the the Jewish connections to Christianity, especially early Christianity. From a teaching, preaching standpoint alone, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that comes a lot. I try not to uh, to say now. You go, you all know that I'm part Jewish, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I have authority to to tell you everything the Old Testament means. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, that was a fun little side detour yeah. for a different first question than normal. But yeah, uh, go ahead and tell us, Jim, about where you are. Tell us about the church, where you are, where you preach. Yeah. So I'm at a church called Celebration Bible Church. I've been here for about 10 years. I spent the first five years as associate pastor, and I've been uh, the senior pastor, I guess, for the, the last five years. Um, Celebration, we're about 25 years old. Um, it started in the early 90s. Uh, when I talk about it, I often refer to it as a whoops baby uh, or a <laughs> sometimes the word splant is come up because they don't really, uh, those the ones who are kind of part of the beginnings, they don't really call it a split. Um, but it was definitely a group who were attending a church and for a lot of reasons just kind of wanted a different type of um, 
church experience specifically involved in like how the worship was um, done and how really how preaching was done as well. So uh, in the early nineties, a group of them left that church and uh, began what became celebration. And so for a while we just, they just kind of met, you know, in shop shop front and stuff around here. But then in uh, 2000, I believe it is, they bought the land that our, our church is at now Um and it's kind of interesting that that kind of plays into a lot of this because when they purchased the land where we are now, it was farm country. So Granville is a suburb of, of Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, kind of, it, it borders up into a very rural kind of community of Hudsonville, a lot of farms. And so when they bought the land here, there was a freeway coming in. And so the idea was that this was going to just be kind of, um, consumed by the suburban sprawl that was, uh, sure. Granville. But so, so when I look at my window, I see farms, um, to both sides of me, but, uh, we're really kind of suburban, a suburban church located in almost a rural area. It's kind of, uh, kind of funny that way. The suburban um, edge. That's a, a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the edge of the suburbs. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, so a lot of the people are all pretty much all of our people are from kind of the surrounding suburban area. Um, so as far as kind of like who we are as a church, we're really intentional about being a multi-generational church. Um, that's something that we really value is I, I personally never want anybody to feel like they're too young to be a part of our church or sure. too old to be a part of our church. And so we really try to, um, serve, serve all people across, across the generations. And so there's obviously some, some joys and some challenges that come along with that. Um, we have a lot of kids, uh, a lot of kids. We have a lot of young families. We also have a lot of older people as well. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, we're, we're pretty laid back community. There's not really ever a lot of kind of, uh, rough things that go along here. Everyone is, is really kind of relaxed and, um, really friendly. We really seek, I think we really seek to truly be kind of like a family. Like when we talk about church family, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do think of, of the church, uh, here at Celebration in that way. And we're smaller. We have about 170 people, depending on how much snow we get on a right, Saturday right. night. <laughs> um, so that really kind of creates an opportunity for us to, be fairly intimate with each other. We know, I know everybody in my congregation, everybody in our congregation kind of knows one another. Um, and so that I think is a really important part of, of our community identity is, is just kind of this small, close knit, um, friendly, open group of people. So that's kind of a little bit about, is it, about that. is it just by the nature of where you are? Is it not quite as transient as maybe if you were in a more urban area where a lot of people are coming and going. And so you have yeah. more long history there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I think um, a lot of the people that go to celebration have been going here for at least a decade. Wow. Uh, obviously we have, we have some newer people, but yeah. Um, Grand Rapids has a lot of colleges there. It is a, a very, um, a college town, but where we're located, we don't, we don't get a whole lot of that. Um, so it is kind of more established families and that kind of stick around for a while, which is, which is great. So talk about, I I was trying to think through if I've had somebody from a church that was called a Bible church, I probably have, (laughs) but you know, I, I I don't, I don't know much about 
I mean, I know there's a Bible church movement, but I don't know how much of a, how much they identify together or if there's different streams within that, or if your church just happens to be called Bible church and isn't really connected to anything else. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So we are technically an independent non-denominational Bible church, which um, to some people is like horrible <laughs> to be, to be so independent and unconnected. And there are some drawbacks to it. Um, but we're part of a group of other independent non-denominational right. Bible churches. Um, specifically, we're part of something called the Grace Gospel Fellowship. Um, and so we just kind of share uh, kind of an identity doctrinally and that sort of thing. Um, but really, I, I think our our fellowships movement is like a lot of the Bible churches movements or foundations are coming out of kind of the the early to middle part of the, the 20th century and really in in a lot of ways kind of reacting to like um kind of an established authority of a, any sort of you know a church saying this is how things go because this is how we do it and instead kind of really valuing their reading of scripture as the thing that is going to be forming how they operate as a church and so um there's a really strong value in reading and studying scripture together Mm-hmm. That that's part of who we are. Um, within the GGF, there's a lot of churches that are called uh, the Grace Gospel Fellowship is the GGF, but there's a lot of our churches are called Berean Bible Church, of course, okay. after yeah. the the Berean that went back to Scripture to see if what Paul was saying is true. And so that I think really is is a big part of our identity is we just have a a really strong value in um, allowing Scripture to kind of uh, define who we are and and what we do. Now, of course everybody's reading of scripture is going to be different. And, and so that's, you know, we take that into consideration, but, but that's kind of our, our, our foundation is really valuing high value of scripture. So what does that mean then for, I mean, I, I, I can start to fill in gaps, but yeah, what does that mean for what preaching looks like in your congregation? So, yeah, I mean, traditionally um, as a Bible church, the, the sermon has, is a really kind of central role in, in the worship where it is, um, kind of like the, 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 the highlight, I guess you could say, for, for lack of better terms of, of what we do when we gather together on a Sunday. Um, sermons are generally, you know, a 30 to 40 minute ordeal where we kind of dig into, to the scriptures. But, um, for, for us particularly, and I think for me, um, particularly, I've been kind of, on a personal journey over the last several years where I have been without in any way rejecting um, that, that sort of the sermon as the central thing. I've been kind of influenced by um, people like James K. Smith, who, you know, is writing a lot about like the, the role of formational worship and like, how does the things besides the sermon impact uh, the life of the church? And so for me, I'm kind of working through, like, what does that look like to be from a, a a tradition that not overvalues, but places the sermon as like the center of everything that we do? Yet now I'm kind of working through. Well, there's all these other parts of our worship service and, and church practice that are also forming, and maybe uh, what James Smith would say is that the sermon is is not forming people in the same way that they think that the pastor thinks it is. And so, how can I kind of be be learning to incorporate all of those things together? And so. 
The sermon still at celebration is central to what we do. I still um, preach a, a, a 30, 35, 40 minute sermon every mm-hmm. Sunday. Um, but I'm kind of working on um, what does it look like to be a little more liturgical in a very, very loose way, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, yet still be valuing that that sermon. Yeah. I mean, I was looking uh, earlier today before we started, I was looking at some of your past sermons and I saw it looks like yeah. you've been inserting, which we'll talk about later, but it looks like you've been inserting little extra thoughts, podcast kind of stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. But I saw the one around Advent about the pink candle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you're describing, you know, Bible church and New yeah. Testament and all that, and I thought, well, wait a minute, where's that coming from? So yeah, probably just answer that question some. Yeah. So we, we'll probably get into this later, but through kind of my my journey through this, I've actually, over the last couple years, adopted the lectionary as <laughs> kind of my guiding um, for for preaching, at least putting my calendar together and trying to follow the church calendar um, in a way that I think some people, unless they had a conversation with me, they wouldn't know it. Um, but at least for me, that's kind of in the background of forming my kind of approach to, to preaching and leading throughout the year. Yeah. Well, and that... You're, let's just keep going with that because that was the next question. Talk about <laughs> yeah. talk about what your long range planning process looks like. Yeah, so this is it's it's morphed over the last I think like any pastor as you kind of get into it and kind of catch your feet. But I feel like I've I've kind of hit the groove as I've been, um, like I said, kind of exploring this this stuff. And so I I have been using the lectionary. So what I try to do is each year. Um, either in now it's November because I'm starting in with Advent rather than starting it in January. Um, But every year in November, I try to sit down and plan out an entire year um, of sermons. And so I have, I basically just do it on a a pages um, table. I don't really know how to use spreadsheets very well. (laughs) So I just make my own on pages. Um, And uh, yeah, so I, I map out the year based on, um, this is really the first year that I'm really kind of um, engaging with a church calendar even more specifically. And so I kind of block out um, through the different seasons, whether it's Advent or that first kind of series of, of Ordinary Time, Epiphany, and then in through Lent, and then um, through after that. And so I'm using the lectionary to um, guide my sermons as far as my texts. Um, I don't do topical sermons. Um, and this is kind of a, a newer thing to me, but along with reading Smith a lot, I've also been um, reading a lot of, of Bart. And in no way am I a, a scholar on Karl Bart. Um, but actually, it was in, in, a, in A.J. Sherrill's podcast here, his interview. He mentioned something that, that struck my attention. He's, he talked about wanting to approach the sermon as event. And I heard that. I was like, what is he talking about sermon as event? Um, and so I went and talked to my good friend who is a Bart scholar hmm. and he kind of pushed me down this rabbit hole of um, understanding the sermon, the proclamation of the word of God in the community, not as a time for the preacher to share um, his ideas and his thoughts about scripture, but as a time to have the word of God um, engage with, with the community. And so uh, digging deeper into Bart and his uh, thoughts on that, he really um, believes that topical sermons or topical sermons 
sermon series have a tendency to um, be about the preacher deciding what he wants to preach about or what they want to preach about for whatever reasons are going on in their lives, rather than allowing the word of God to be kind of at the center. And so because of that, I, I've really kind of avoided doing any sort of, of topical sermons and just stuck to to how the lectionary lays it out. So, so that's kind of my long-term goal. Now, saying that, um, this year what I'm doing is I'm only following the lectionary for the first half of the Christian year. So, mm. through from the first Sunday of Advent through Trinity Sunday, I'm following the lectionary. And then the second half of this year, um, at least until Christ the King, which this year looks like it's November 25th, I'm actually just going to do like a really old school slow crawl through Ephesians, but uh-huh. just the first three chapters of Ephesians. That's a slow crawl. Spend, it is a slow <laughs> crawl. Uh, so I'm going to go go for about six months, just kind of working our way through that through that guy. So when you break it up that much, all right. So you're talking yeah. 24 weeks through three chapters. Is it because yeah. you'll only go a couple verses at a time, or because you'll keep circling back over the same passages? Um. Right now, the way I have it broken down is to go um, like three, four verses a week. Hmm. I mean, I think that that specifically those first three chapters are so rich yeah. that um, it's really hard to do, in my opinion, a whole lot more than that and not feel like, oh, I can't really talk about this because this is where we're going this week. So, really focusing it actually allows me, I think, to be a little more a little more thematic in a way in that I can find like, what is, what is Paul's theme in these two verses? And so while I am more expository, it's also kind of a thematic expository um, type deal. Yeah. So we'll see once I get into that, how much I circle around and how much I maybe decide to change things last minute. But, but that's kind of where I'm headed this year. We did, we did Ephesians four years ago, uh, coming out of Easter actually. And I'm just, I'm already itching to go back to it. It's so good. And I, yeah. I, I thought, all right, maybe not quite yet. There's other things yeah. to do, but man, it's great. Yeah. Well, and then I, when you did it, did you use Honer's uh-uh. uh, no. massive Ephesians commentary? So he has this brilliant commentary on Ephesians. That's like, I don't know how big it is. It looks like a couple dictionaries. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to spend a lot of time in that, in yeah. that one as I work through that. All right. Um, how has, Celebration Bible Church responded to you bringing in these non-New Testamental uh-huh. <laughs> practices. Yeah. Um, like I said, a lot of people may not know that I'm doing it. Huh. Um, I'm not like getting up every Sunday and saying, hey, we're, the reason that we're preaching on this today is because this is what the lectionary told me to, to preach. Now, there have been a few sermons where I have had to kind of explain to people, like, what what is the church calendar? Now, interesting, there is a lot of, um, in West Michigan, there's a lot, it's a very strong, like, Dutch reform community. Mm-hmm. We have a strong uh, uh, population of that here. And so, a lot of people are familiar with with the concept of at least the church calendar and the lectionary. But for many, I'm explaining it to them for the first time. Um, but I, I think they've responded fairly well specifically because really what the, what, what's happening is as I'm using the lectionary, I'm, 
it's it's funny because I'm using like a church authority, <laughs> you know, a resource that comes from like this authority of the church. Yet what it's actually doing is it's grounding us deeper into the text itself. And so um, in a lot of ways, I think it fits really well into our identity as a group that want to be kind of saturated in in scripture for the sake of scripture. Um, so, so I think they've been kind of responding well <laughs> this week or this year is the first year where we actually, um, uttered the word Lent from, from mm. the platform a, a few times during, uh, during our, our sermons. And so, so far nobody has, um, thrown like a crucifix into my window or anything like that. So that <laughs> well, I wouldn't imagine so it would positive. be a crucifix. <laughs> maybe just a cross. Yeah. Sans image of Jesus on it. But Yeah, right, right. Uh, oh, I was going to ask, there was a question that came before I decided to make a wisecrack. <laughs> oh, always happens. I was just going to circle back. I mean, you, you talk about James yeah. K. Smith. Are you talking specifically yes. Desiring the Kingdom or that mm-hmm. entire series? What's been yeah, like helpful? Yeah, so... Yep. So for, it started for me when I had, when I was assigned to read, um, portions of Desiring the Kingdom in some of my classes I was taking. Um, but then what I ended up doing is going back to You Are What You Love, which is kind mm-hmm. of a, a little bit more of a pop level yeah. of that and having my elders read it. Um, and so I, I think that, that, that those two books in particular have been really, really helpful for me. Who's Afraid of Postmodernism as well? Yeah. Um, I think is a, a really good, um, really good way to kind of lay out the broad picture of why kind of the practical, tangible worship practices are so important. Yeah. Okay. So all let's say, I mean, when you say you've been engaging the lectionary some, even what's that been looking like? Are you specifically saying I'm going to do the gospel text during Lent? Or are you trying to include yeah. all four or have you done that? No. So generally what we'll do is, is for our scripture reading on Sunday, I'll, I'll have, um, if I'm not preaching the Psalm passage, I'll have the Psalm passage read just because I think that's kind of a good, a good reading. Um, but like, so the way I did it this, this year is I, I did the Psalm passages for Advent. Um, and then when I got into the, uh, the epiphany, kind of that first ordinary time season, we did the gospels and the gospel reading. So it was Mark this year. And that actually wasn't that big of a change because even before I knew what a lectionary was, so again, kind of revealing my ignorance as a, a Bible church guy, um, before I even knew what the lectionary was, I kind of found my way into doing almost every year between Christmas and Easter, preaching one of the gospels, or at least preaching through some of the important events in the life of Jesus. And so, um, that was kind of natural. So we, we've done the, the gospel passages through that. And then this year in Lent, I just went with the old Testament passages just because, um, it's a little bit different. And this year specifically, it's talking about like these, these different, covenants, um, like the Noahic covenant and the mm. Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. And so it's been a little bit of a stretch for, for me to kind of preach those things in a way that connects with, with our church. But I found it to be super, um, super meaningful from my perspective. And, and I think for the church as well. And then it looks like I'm going to do after Easter, I'm going to go through the, the first John readings, um, so that's kind of what I do is I, I, I do kind of group them in series, um, even though they're not topical series, but it's, you know, I'll do five or six weeks on this reading and five or six weeks on that reading. Man. So can I just tell you, we have just decided 
we've we've kind of cycled away. We follow the calendar. We kind of cycled away from the lectionary in the past year. Yeah. And just for the season of Easter, we decided to rest back into it. Hmm. And I'm going to do First John. I say I, we, because yeah. we, we have multiple people. But um, And so even we're going to do it a little bit different, whereas we're essentially going to read a chapter a week. And then whoever's preaching that week will preach on some portion of that chapter they kind of choose. But okay. I'm a little, I'm a little anxious and nervous about it because First John has so much. People in our church tend to have a, a lot of baggage around yeah. church yeah. language and you know coming out of really conservative, uptight backgrounds. And yeah, um, there's there's a lot of language in there that I, it's, I feel like I'm gonna have to do trigger warning. But I'm hopeful also <laughs> then to give people like a new fresh imagination for no this really is these are beautiful ideas that are in here yeah well yeah i always think it's so funny that at least kind of in the the evangelical world i grew up in they always said if if you have a somebody who's new to the gospel to the christian faith or you want to introduce someone give them the gospel of john to read and whenever i actually would read it and be like this is one of the weirdest ones like this is one where jesus tells people to eat his blood or right, right. drink his blood and eat his flesh and john is just so stark in that sort of thing and and the born again language and maybe that's why the evangelicals like us like me yeah, yeah, <laughs> love yeah. him so much <laughs> yeah it'll be it'll be interesting though so i'm yeah. glad that, i'm glad that you're uh, tell me what you know you can email me what good stuff you find yes. so yes yes all right so uh, moving on then Let's talk about it. it. Looks like you preach pretty regularly. Like, what what percentage of the time do you do it? I try to preach about seventy five percent. So I try okay. to do about forty sermons a year. So talk. I mean, for you, it's a week to week process for sure. Talk about mm-hmm. talk about what your timeline looks like for putting a sermon together. Yeah. So um, I have found I'm a very while I can be kind of um, have like a creative streak and can be a little bit. Um, out of the box, I have found that I work really well when I have structure in yeah. my life. And so starting with the yearly, um, you know, I have my text laid out for me for a year. That's really great is that I don't have to spend that time thinking, what do I want to preach about, you know? Sure. And so I can just come to the text and like, this is, this is what we're preaching. At. This is the word that's for today. So that's really helpful. And so ideally, um, what I like to do is once every couple months, I like to do what I call a get ahead day. And so, on a week that I'm not preaching, mm-hmm. I'll take my normal planning time and just go through two months of sermons and, you know, spend 15, 20 minutes kind of working through each of the texts and put out, here's a, uh, I call them in my mind, just little footholds. Like, here's a little foothold that when I come back to this, I kind of am not just staring at a blank page. So, if I've done that, um, generally what I'll do is, is Monday, um, I'll come to the text just briefly, um, just kind of devotionally meditate on it for not long, you know, 20 minutes, half hour, just spend some time, um, hopefully allowing the text to speak to me, um, as, as a hearer rather than thinking too much about what I'm going to preach on it. Um, but then Tuesday is really the day that, that I, I do sermons. And so, um, for me, I, I try to get into the office and I do all of this in my office mm-hmm. um, where it's quiet. And as a, a small church, I, very rarely are there people coming in and visiting me. So it's very, very quiet and very, um, I can just be here and focus. And, and look so, out at the farms. You can look out, look at, the out at the farms. Yeah. There's a, I just noticed the other day the goats are out in the, I know it's spring <laughs> when the goats come out. And so it's uh it's spring now. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, but I get in, I get in here in the morning and I spend, um, really the early part of the day back in the text again. But then the first part of the day, I'm just kind of reading through different commentaries and different resources and um, just jotting down thoughts and not really necessarily trying to come up with this is where my sermon is going. But um, by the end of the morning, hopefully I have about four or five different directions that I could, I could take the sermon. Hmm. Um, but ideally one of those has kind of risen to the surface and um if everything is going well by lunchtime on tuesday i have kind of my direction of this is this is kind of where things are going and then in the afternoon i just spend time kind of mapping out what that what that actually is going to look like i don't um write out my sermons necessarily in a manuscript form though listening to your podcast more and more has inspired me to maybe give that a try um and in fact, Carl Bart would uh, glare at me when he <laughs> if he knew that I wasn't doing uh, manuscripts because of because uh, of that. Um, but yeah, but so by lunch, if it, if it has legs, I'm, I'm writing out my sermon. I'm kind of crafting it, um, and hopefully by four o'clock or so on Tuesday, I'm done. I like to think that if something were to happen and I stumbled upon a riff in the space time continuum and uh, the days of Wednesday through Saturday disappeared. I could preach my sermon in a pinch on Sunday morning after mm. what I've done on Tuesday. Okay. Um, because I, I like to like, my job isn't just writing sermons, you know, like I have sure. so many other things that I love doing, especially, you know, visiting with my congregation and, and doing that sort of thing that I don't want to spend 30 hours a week writing a sermon. So I try to be done with it by Tuesday. Um, I used to do Thursday as my sermon day, but then I realized when things don't go well on Thursday, <laughs> Sunday's a lot closer than right. when things don't go well on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Um, on Wednesday, I usually don't look at it because I'm doing so many other things. Um, but a lot of times on Thursday, I'll come back and maybe spend an hour or two in the afternoon kind of cleaning things up. Um, Friday, I'm off, and so I, I don't I don't do anything. But probably the one of the most important times for me in my, in my outline is Saturday night. I take my dog on a walk and we do a, uh, <laughs> an extra long walk on Saturday nights. And I kind of work through the sermon. I talk through the sermon, um, in my mind, usually quietly, sometimes out loud. Um, and that just kind of helps me to really, um, solidify kind of the phrasing and the way that I'm going to say things. I'm, um, in many ways, kind of an auditory learner. And so if I can say it, in my mind, at least, it helps me then when I come back to it on Sunday to be able to to formulate that phrasing in, in that way. Do you have notes so with it. you on that walk, or you're just going from no, just from just from memory? Because yeah, when I I don't really preach from a lot of notes, mm -hmm. not because I'm like trying to be cool or whatever. It's just it's just how my mind works, and so um, that actually really helps me to kind of map that out in my mind as well. And so if I can kind of preach through that whole thing um, during my walk. Um, then on Sunday, I'll come back in the morning. I'll get into church an hour or two early. And um, I usually will write out a little kind of quarter sheet of paper with some some triggers or some some kind of landmarks in the sermon that'll help me kind of kind of move through it. Um, I find myself rarely looking at that, but it's nice to have it up there just in case, you know, I have a panic attack or something on, on stage. So, um so yeah, Sunday morning, run through it, not really preaching through it, but kind of just looking over things and making sure we're all set. And so, um, then ready to go. 
10 o'clock. So your, your process, just the Saturday night part, reminds me of uh-huh. Thomas McKenzie. If you haven't listened to that Sermon Smith interview, he pretty much doesn't okay. write the sermon till his Saturday night walk. Uh, <laughs> I don't, hey, I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but that's pretty much he'll yeah, just, yeah, yeah. He'll just go out for a walk until he's done rain or shine or snow or, yeah. So there's one for you to listen to. Well, my Greyhound can only go about two miles. So once we're, <laughs> once we're there, my sermon's done. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, all right. So between Tuesday, having this big structure, and by Saturday, yeah. you kind of can walk and, and to a mm-hmm. place where it's from memory. Mm-hmm. What is it about how you put a sermon together that you feel like you can carry it with you and not need notes? I mean, do you, do you have a pretty yeah. simple structure or how, like... Yeah. How? <laughs> well, part part of it is just kind of how I guess just how my brain works. I, I just kind of think of things in in a narrative form, and so my structures are generally pretty pretty similar. I do as I'm prepping, I do all my notes handwritten um, in a in a notebook, and then I have a whiteboard on my wall. So between those two things, I'm constantly writing them out. And I think really that tangible act of doing that is is helping me. Um, but my structure is pretty simple. It's generally I spend the first third of the sermon kind of working through the narrative wherever we're at, even if it's an epistle or um, like a prophetic text or a psalm, I'll probably work through some of the historical context of what's going on or, or the, the narrative context. And so I spend a lot of the time doing that. And then my second portion of the sermon generally will be kind of intertextual like I'll I'll kind of connect it to something in one of the epistles or uh, a psalm or or something else and then kind of bring it home in the third the third section for a conclusion and so my structure is almost always the same in that way it's kind mm-hmm. of three moving sections um that sometimes run into each other a little bit more but that that's helpful i guess for me is to to always be able to think about it in those in those ways, kind of narrative, and then text, and then conclusion. And if you have illustrations and things like that, you just know them well enough. Yeah, and you're, or I, do you you freelance those as you go, or I honestly don't use a lot of of illustrations, and I know that that like is anti all of everything that every preaching textbook tells you to do, but. I I used to rely on that a lot more, but I find myself kind of using the the narrative portion of scripture as my illustration. Like I I kind of tell that story of what's happening in the text as a way to kind of bring people into the text. So rather than talking about like what what's going on in my life or things that I see, I try to bring it into to the text. And that's not like a you know, holier than thou kind of thing. No, that's no. just kind of, for me, that's just how, how it works. Um, I will use uh, illustrations occasionally. I have a friend uh, who was my intern here for a while, and he's really, really good at um, seeing what's happening in his life and making those connections. And I always tell him, I, I wish I could like tell, think of my life in that way. Like I wish I could tell stories about what's happening to me, but I just, I don't think of them that way and so i just i don't use a lot of illustrations in that in that way so but it, so more it's more a matter though illustrations aside of just from tuesday having enough sense even of what that historical narrative context is that you can mm-hmm. carry that with you yeah uh-huh and i and i do a lot of kind of biblical study stuff and and i do a lot of 
studying and research, especially on my sermon day in the morning about kind of that historical context that Mm -hmm. that narrative hopefully has resonated with me that it's a story that now I've kind of internalized and and can then use as, as a springboard for where I'm going. Yeah. Um, Well then what are beyond Tuesday, what, Mm -hmm. what is the rest of your, you know, for, for most of us, you know, life is always steady, you know, because we're reading yeah. other times during the week. Do you have systems or processes where when you're reading other things, you're capturing ideas out of that that you can use later? Or what's that look like? Yeah. So like most people on your podcast, I wish I was better at that. Uh, but <laughs> <It's true. laughs> the, reoc- the reoccurring thread. <laughs> um, but generally, if I'm reading something, um, I generally read alongside uh, a notebook. I have a couple notebooks designated for certain things. I have my preaching notebook, which, by the way, let me give a plug for the Blackwing Slate. I, I write in pencil, always oh, in pencil. Wow. And the Blackwing Slate is the best notebook for pencil writing that I have found. And so if there's any pencil writers out there and they're not using a Blackwing Slate, I got to change that. I have not but heard anyways. of this one. I'll yeah. So, it. so yeah, the, the Blackwing is like this iconic pencil that was used, you know, Hemingway and all these guys used this pencil. Um, and it went out of production and then this company called Palomino brought it back and it's the, the best pencil and the best notebook. But anyways, I don't use the Blackwing. I use a Midori, which is a, a Japanese lay flat notebook for my reading. Um, and, uh, I, I take notes as I'm reading of the things that are kind of resonated with me and spark something. And I keep a pretty like, um, pretty organized structure of like, these are all the notes for, you know, this Smith book I'm reading right now or, you know, whatever. So everything's kind of in, in fairly, um, ordered way. If I'm not around a notebook, I will, um, do stuff in Apple notes just cause it's on my phone and on my computer and everything. And so, especially if I find something online or something like that, I'll use, I'll use Apple notes. I used to use Evernote, but I just stopped. And then they started wanting me to pay to use right. it on multiple devices. Right. So Apple notes doesn't. Well, you pay for it. At least it. not in that way. <laughs> <laughs> pay for it with your soul. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was that other notebook you said that besides the Blackwing slate that lays the flat? The the Midori MD. How do you spell that? M I D O R I. Okay, it's like a Jap- Japanese brand. All right. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the kind of stuff I start to nerd out on. So I'm, I'm like typing it in. Yeah. yeah Even yeah, though yeah. I don't really I, use notebooks, I'm still typing it in. <laughs> yeah. I for for whatever reason, I well, I kind of have. I get these like weird get on these weird kicks. And so like for my new year's resolution a few years ago, I said, I'm going to only write in pencil all year long. And so I went for the entire year, except for checks writing in pencil. And then I loved it so much. I just stuck with it. So now I like, if I'm ever, I'm just, we're breaking up a little bit here. Pencils. <laughs> we broke up oh, a little sorry. bit on that. It's okay. Basically, you were okay. talking it was about just, New Year's resolution to write in pencils, and yeah, that's pretty much all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, what about uh, what about evaluating your sermons? Do you do much of that? Like, how do you know a sermon went well? <laughs> um, depending on how depressed I am, right, know? right. Um, I, you know, I there's a, a few people in my congregation who will generally kind of give me feedback. Um, if my wife mentioned something, that means I did good. 
<laughs> she just won't say anything otherwise. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess I, I, I try to listen back on occasion, at least to portions of my sermon when I'm posting them online the next day. Um, but generally it's just kind of an internalization of the evaluation of like, I should have hit that point more, or I shouldn't have hit that point, or I should have let this scripture speak. Um, but honestly, I, I guess I try not to evaluate too much. Um, I, as much as I love preaching and I love like the art and craft of creating sermon, I try to recognize that this is really just a portion of what we're doing at celebration. And so if I hit it one week, you know, that's awesome and, and praise God for that. And if I don't, I kind of, you know, like everybody, we, we kind of deal with it for, for a few hours, but I try to just kind of let it go and recognize that over the course of however long I'm, I'm preaching here at celebration that, you know, God will use hmm. the brokenness of my, of my preaching in a way that will, will bring him glory and will be helpful to this church. So I don't know, I guess I try not to evaluate a whole lot and just kind of you're, taking, you're playing the long game. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, right, right. And I figure if if I'm like consistently not um, doing something in a helpful way, I leave my board. You know, I leave that up to my board to to bring that to me, and and hopefully I'd have a softness to hear if it's true. Thankfully, that hasn't happened as of yet. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so let's let's circle back to what I mentioned earlier, which is these little extras and I, I didn't get a chance to listen to any of these, but these little extras oh, yeah. looks like you're dropping in your podcast. Talk about that a little bit. Uh huh. So I decided kind of as I was, I've been exploring this lectionary concept, church calendar concept, and really even like the formative process of, of worship and like what these actual, you know, very James Smith, what is the prayer this portion of our worship? What is that? shaping in our theology. Because for those who are unfamiliar, Smith would essentially say that um, our worship practices shape our beliefs rather than the mm -hmm. other way around. Um, and so, how are the things that we're doing together um, shaping what we believe about, about God, believe about the Christian faith? Um, and so, that's one of those things that just kind of happens over time naturally. And that's the whole point of liturgy is that over years and years and years, it kind of seeps into you and starts to shape you kind of slowly and silently. But I decided because we are so new to some of this stuff that it might be helpful for me to kind of talk a little bit about it, talk about prayer, talk about um, the church calendar, talk about why, why we're doing these things. And so every, I try to do it every two, three weeks, I'll just give a little 15 um, 15 minute talk about something that we're doing at church, whether it's a specific event or why are we doing this portion of our worship service in this way? And ho hopefully it kind of gives a, a place for people to connect um, what they're doing with what it is doing. Um, so I think I did one about the call to worship and like, mm -hmm. why are we doing a call to worship all of a sudden? Because we never did a call to worship before. And then suddenly we, suddenly we started to do it. And so I wanted to kind of people see like this call to worship is, you know, when we allow ourselves to be called by, we are saying that the Christian life happens on God's time and things start, start not when we wander in and decide to, but things start when we are called uh, to start it. And so even through that little act of, you know, 
two minutes of, of reading scripture and saying, let us gather together and worship, that is shaping something about what we believe about God and who we are in response to that. So that's kind of just what those, uh, those little podcasts are. Yeah. And then I kind of think of them as, um, like the conversation you would have around a dinner table with your kids about, you know, why we did the things we did. Are you getting much talk back or feedback on those? Yeah, people seem to those who are listening to them seem to yeah, yeah. seem to like them. Of course, on iTunes, you don't get any idea of who's actually listening to anything, right? Um, but I think those who are listening to it seem to to like it, and it's short, intentionally, you know, that it can be listened to on a commute or you know a walk or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then you also have your own little podcast you've been working on. I don't know if it's little, but. Yeah, it's, I, that was it's that was not little. nice of me to say, but yeah, talk no, about it's pretty little. <laughs> what's going pretty on there? Little. Yeah, so uh, we're on. We've kind of been off for about a year, but we're going to jump back on it. Me and my friend Matt, the previously mentioned Bart scholar, yeah, uh, and good friend of mine, we started a podcast called The Pastoral Calling, which um, we we always find we know that there are resources out there small church pastors but you have to like go looking for them um it seems like it's so much easier to find the stuff meant for the big churches or the pastors who are only focusing on one specific aspect of of um of church life and that's great and and we love that and and we we know that there's there's places for all of that within the the broader stream of of the church but but for us, we wanted to find a way that we could um, talk about some of the realities of doing ministry in a small to mid-sized church and um, talking a lot about just kind of the holistic pastoral shepherding life um, rather than someone who's just a preacher or someone who's just a, a organizational leader or that sort of thing. So we, we interview somebody every episode and just kind of talk about what ministry looks like for them so just a little podcast nothing nothing (laughs) big and fancy and we just we found it helpful and we thought other people would too yeah um all right uh one or two wrap up i mean it's not the sermon smith or anything so (laughs) the gigantic mega podcast (laughs) um what, what are what are some of the resources that have formed you most as a preacher books maybe other podcasts Mm -hmm. this is this is your chance to mention sermon smith (laughs) the smith has been huge (laughs) so uh let me talk first about um resources and stuff that i use pretty regularly when i'm planning sermons so um jumping into the lectionary kind of cold i have been really enjoying working through the feasting on the word commentary series and i know other people have mentioned that um but it is it's just so great it's a especially kind of in my early um, planning stages. If if you're not familiar with it, it's basically for all four of the readings each week. There are four, um, really just little essays: uh, theological, mm-hmm. homiletical, pastoral, and exegetical. Exegetical, yeah. yeah. And so I generally will spend the first part of my day just reading through those, and those will really help me to say, "Ah, oh, this is the direction I'm going." Sometimes they're a little more mainline than mm-hmm. than what I'm ready to jump into, but I found that to be just a really helpful kind of ordering for me. And so I've been using that pretty regularly. Um, I also am a big fan of the Erdman's New International Commentary Series, mm-hmm. um, New Testament, Old Testament. I feel like that's a good kind of balance between technical and um, a little more accessible. So I, I find that super helpful. 
um, NT writes for everyone series. I sure. know a lot of people use that. And especially, I mean, NT Wright is such a pastor scholar and this is kind of where he's at his pastoral best, I feel like. Um, and so really I'll, I'll jump into one of those if I'm in the new Testament golden gaze for the old Testament are not quite as useful for me, but I'll still get mm-hmm. into those if I need to. And then I often go to the Zondervan illustrated Bible background commentary series. So oh, yeah. there's old and new Testament. I think they're each four or five volumes and it's not really any commentary about the text, but it's almost always um, archeological stuff or just cultural first century or ancient near Eastern culture stuff, which for me, as I'm kind of putting together that narrative section of my sermon is generally kind of like a gold mine of, of um, just little snippets that I can, that I can use to kind of paint the picture for people. Um, yeah, I, I, that's kind of as far as like every week, I'm generally looking at those four and then I'll jump around to other things kind of as I go around. Um, the IVP dictionaries are really good as well. You know, like the Jesus and the Gospels and yeah. Paul and his letters and that sort of thing. And you have all these on shelves. You're not a Bible software guy. Because uh-huh. you were looking I at shelves u- earlier. <laughs> I, yeah, I got all my shelves there. I do use Accordance for mm-hmm. um, language stuff just because I'm not as sharp as I would need to be to use that on, on paper. I did just get the the Silva series. What is it? The the new the new version of the Colin Brown um, New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology and Exegesis. And so I use that on paper um, and that's been super helpful. But yeah, I'll use Accordance for um, for word studies. I use their maps all the time because I'll grab a map and throw it yeah. up for a slide um, for my my sermon. Um, but yeah, everything, everything, try to, I try to do everything on paper. Apart from that, just kind of thinking more of, of books that have really shaped me. Um, I've been really influenced by Peterson, um, he, Eugene Peterson. He's yeah. just been really important to me as I've been really like in the early years of pastoral ministry, like trying to wrestle with, this is what the picture of being a pastor looks like, and it's very flashy. And there's a lot of like leadership structure and organizational structure, yet this is not really what my experience is. And so Peterson has been really helpful um, to that. And I think I, the contemplative pastor is mm-hmm. really foundational for me. His memoir, The Pastor, I read, I don't know, right when I started in in pastoral ministry. And that like served as a huge foundation of, of where I went from there. And so Peterson, anything by him, but those two texts in particular have been, have been really good. Um, we mentioned the Smith stuff uh, that has really shaped my understanding of, of church and practices of the church and, and how we do that. Um, Another a book that I don't, I looked through your bibliography and I haven't, I didn't see anybody else mention this, which really surprised me, but Carl Bart has a book that's just called homiletics and huh. maybe someone has mentioned it and I, and I didn't see it, but oof, that thing <laughs> yeah. radically changed my, my understanding of, of what the sermon is intended to do. He has a middle section where he goes through like eight or nine what he refers to as like criteria of like, this is what makes a sermon a faithful sermon. And um, a lot of it is just uh, the text, right? It has to, the sermon has to be the text, but also he talks a lot about the preacher. Like the preacher has to be someone who's not only shaped by the text, but in order for a sermon to be a sermon, it can't just be exegesis of the Bible. It has to be delivered through the unique, 
character and personality of the preacher. And yet finding a way to do that without allowing those characteristics to overshadow the text itself. And it's just really, really brilliant. So it's just called homiletics. And I think um, everybody should, should read it. And it's, it's written in a way that you don't have to be deep into um, kind of the, the world of Bart to, (laughs) to connect with it. You don't have to read German, which is always a bonus. Uh, (laughs) Right. Um, so yeah, so hom- homiletics has just been huge for me. And then I just read, uh, Wynn Collier, you had him oh, on man. your podcast. He yeah. just, he wrote uh, that book, Love Big, Be Well. So good. Which it was so good. And I had no idea who he was. I bought the book completely because of the fact that it had a blurb from Eugene Peterson on the front cover, Yeah, which is so great because the only reason you put a blurb on the front cover is because that's your selling point, but right. it worked and I bought it and it was so good because yes. it's, it's, I mean, it, he did us. Yeah. It's, it's just great. It's the pastoral life in a narrative and in this really creative way and talking about kind of the long game of that. And so I went back and I, I saw you, you interviewed him. And when I listened to that, I was like, man, reading this book, I knew that I was like a kindred soul with him, but hearing his interview, it's just really it's like I got to meet this guy. He's a uh, he's the man. So yeah, that book was was great. I'm I'm glad you mentioned it because I, I I thought about that book sometime earlier because I just read it you know a month or two ago because it's new. Yeah, um, yeah. And I for some reason it crossed my mind while you were talking earlier. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, it, yeah. It's funny because since I didn't know him, it took me a while to figure out like what I was reading. It's like are these like actually letters that he ha- he has written to his church? And it took me a while to figure out. Oh, this is like creative i think he calls it creative nonfiction. yeah um yeah but it, it's great i know when there's a lot of win in those letters but yeah it's fiction yeah okay <laughs> and you i will tell yeah. you right now i have pulled it up i'm in the back end of the sermon smith website right now and you are the first yeah. to mention homiletics by bart yes yeah my contribution to this podcast i can sleep in peace now um, but it's any, great anything else um I mean, I'm sure I could find some other things, but I'd just be digging at that point. I think Fair those enough. are the, the books that have been key for me. I, I mean, the other thing you mentioned that I wasn't familiar with was, was these Zondervan Bible. I use the IVP mm-hmm. Bible background that's just like one volume each for new and old. Yeah. But I hadn't seen mm-hmm. these before. Yeah. So one of the benefits of living in Grand Rapids is it's the epicenter of the Christian publishing industry. Yeah. And so I have multiple friends who work at Zondervan and one that works at Baker. And I think I got my new Testament copy of that before it was even released. Mm-hmm. I kind of got snuck a copy, which happens on occasion. Um, and it's been a constant source of, of um, research for me over the last 10 years or so. So it's, That's pretty, it's new. pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not super. I, I imagine that they're grabbing some of the stuff from, some of their older volumes. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the Old Testament one is edited by John Walton. I don't know who edits the New Testament one. You oh. could probably Clinton find Arnold. that out. But, ah, Clinton Arnold. Yeah. So, so yeah, so those are, those are great resources. And there, there's pictures and maps and stuff like that. So if, if anyone's visual, um, that, that's great. So if anyone else um, wants to know a little bit more about what's going on, at Celebration Bible and with you, like what's the church website and any other places they can track you down? Yes. So if you want to check out our church's website, it's just celebrationbible.org. Um, nice and simple. And it's uh, 
our sermons are up there. So if anybody wants to listen to it and the, the podcast, if they want to hear the little 15 minute thing, yeah. we're also on iTunes. They could just search Celebration Bible Church on iTunes. Um, for me personally, if people want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, it's just at JM Shamaria, but I'm not a very good, like, social media pastor, you know, like you see some of those pastors, you're like, are always like talking about the things that they're doing or putting like Christian memes or something. And mine's basically just like, my Twitter is like complaining about the Mariners getting injured all the time. (laughs) Or my Instagram is like pictures of my dog and my kid and stuff. So go for it, but don't be expecting too much. Right. (laughs) You're not going to change anybody's life is what you're saying. Unless they're a Mariners fan. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Together. (laughs) <laughs> well, Jim, thanks so much. It was it was great to meet you and to have yeah. you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. It's been uh, it's been fun. And I, and I'll say this just to affirm something um, for you, but just overall, which is, you know, when I first reached out to you and emailed you, you know, a mutual friend connected us, you know, and just said, you said, I don't know that I have much to offer. I'm just this guy up here doing <laughs> his thing. And to me, that's the that's the beauty of these conversations because a lot of us yeah. are just doing our thing and hearing most of us don't get to focus full-time on preaching and so just hearing how we're all working it in it's great so i don't think you're just doing your thing i think you're doing a big thing (laughs) oh well thank you yeah well blessings to you and thanks so much all right thanks it was great to have this interview with jim thank you jim so much for being on the podcast Uh, for those of you who are listening if you'd like to support what's going on here both like the server costs and my time you can support the podcast at Spreading the word through um, social media, Facebook, Twitter, and also ratings on iTunes.